And it's the most soul destroying thing that a marketing team can do is to create all of these opportunities through lead gen and have none of them close. None of it became revenue. And it circles back to how the CEO feels about marketing and Mm -hmm. whether they value marketing or not. And we'll hear a lot of things like, you know, if a recruiter reaches out to you saying, you know, this company, they're looking now for a marketing leader because marketing is the missing piece of the puzzle. To me, that's a huge red flag. You know, and I'm Mm -hmm. wearing a red t-shirt today to like really emphasize this point but to me it means we don't really understand marketing but our revenue has kind of slowed and we've kind of exhausted all of our other options so now we feel like it's time to bring in a marketing leader and we expect them to kind of transform the business and accelerate growth Mm -hmm. but we're probably not going to give them the budget that they need we're going to expect a lot from them and we're going to expect it immediately and if you're expected to drive results immediately you're not going to be able to actually do demand generation within your business you're going to be forced to do lead gen you're listening to the paris talks marketing podcast where we interview top marketing leaders at high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest growing, most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online, a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode, and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, H-O-P.online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, my guest is Sarah Brethnock. Sarah works with startups to build strong inbound marketing foundations for fast growth. As the head of demand gen at Hunter's, which is a cybersecurity startup headquartered in Tel Aviv, Israel. Sarah is building the demand gen and field marketing functions globally. Prior to Hunters, Sarah started her tech career at Localytics, which is a Boston startup acquired by Upland Software in 2019. From there, Sarah was hired to build out the demand gen team at Tamer, a data and analytics startup, which is headquartered in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paris. Glad to be here. So other than what I've just described in that brief intro, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Of course. So as you said, my name is Sarah. I'm originally from Ireland. That's where I went to uni and and grew up. And I had this strong desire to pursue a career in marketing, just something that's pretty, it was pretty rare. You know, growing up, my parents kind of looked at me as like, we don't know any people that have ever, you know, worked in marketing. Are you sure this is a viable career path? So I was really determined to kind of prove them wrong. So I went to the U.S. after I finished uni and I got into the startup world and started working in marketing roles, mainly demand generation, and then also inherited some field marketing teams and roles and and responsibilities. And I'm really just hooked on this process of growing companies from scratch. And I think the earlier you can get in, the more of an impact you can have. And I've seen the the good, the bad and the ugly uh, and experienced it firsthand. So I'm really passionate about helping other marketing people learn from some of the mistakes that I've made and also give them the confidence to create change within their organizations. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more that the startup landscape is is really exciting and and you have an opportunity to make a much, much bigger impact. And demand generation is, is everything at that point because there are usually what I would say is either you have a blue ocean or a red ocean. I know people talk about the purple ocean, but in the blue ocean, you have nothing but opportunity. Maybe you're creating a new category, but no one knows about that category. No one, most people don't even know they have the problem that 
that you solve yet. Or you're in a red ocean and maybe there's a great awareness of the problem, but you're going up against huge competitors and it's saturated and you need to carve out a little slice of that, but no one knows your brand. So you still need to generate demand for the brand and you need to make people aware of what makes your brand different. And one of the things that I believe what I've noticed throughout your career is that you have become a real expert at demand generation. And I don't see references to other closely related terms like lead generation and then demand capture. So could you help us understand from your perspective, what are the primary differences between demand generation versus lead gen versus demand capture? Yes. So my, my head is spinning. I'm sure yours is as well. Was, I know that was a, that was an extremely long lead in to a very direct question. <laughs> but I think um, the point is, Paris, what you're touching on is it's difficult to even frame the question, never mind answer the question. And this is what intrigues me because I think the best way to talk about these terms is just simplify it completely. You know, the simplest form that I explain this to teams that I work with and and other marketers and often CEOs, right, that understand that the power of true demand for your solution means like people want to evaluate your solution. They know about it. They've heard about it. They, they understand what it's used for and the pain points that you solve. They want to evaluate your solution, right? That's the North Star. Mm-hmm. That is demand generation. That's people hearing about you and coming to you saying, you know, I want to see a demo or I want to speak to your sales team, or maybe I want to purchase immediately if it's product-led growth or something that's kind of a lower price point where there isn't a big buying committee and a big sales cycle. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what I see as demand generation. And I think you know, we, when we think about big brands, they've driven demand, right? There's a demand for, you know, a solution like HubSpot. People enter a startup and there's no CRM. They say, you know, I we should be using HubSpot or we should be using Salesforce. Um, and, you know, there are many others. That's demand for those solutions versus lead generation is very much we are trying to get people interested in our business, but they don't know us yet. So we're going to go and do activities that will create leads for us that we will call upon and try and convince them to become interested in our solution. So Mm -hmm. it's a very different approach. There are many ways to do lead gen. And when I talked about, you know, the demand gen versus lead gen, people tell me, you know, you can't just do demand generation, like you need to do demand capture as well. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with that. I think demand capture is putting your business in the right places at the right time in front of the right people with the right message to be able to capture this 1% of, you know, people or businesses that are in market for a solution like yours. So if they're Mm -hmm. searching something like, you know, to take that example, if they're searching like a CRM for startups, HubSpot's going to come up, right? They're going to rank organically, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. But if HubSpot was a startup trying to capture that demand, they probably have to pay for AdWords or Google ads to make sure that they're surfacing. So they're capturing the 1% of demand um, or the 1% of people who are in market to buy. And then as they become bigger and better known, you know, they have a big brand that's driving demand for them. So hopefully that helps Mm -hmm. kind of answer this question in a very simple way. But of course, it's, you know, complex topic, which I love to talk about every day. I think there's so much to cover. And it's also very new to people. And it's new in, in the grand scheme of, you know, how much the landscape has changed in the last few years. Yeah. Would it be fair to say, Sarah, that Lead generation is measured in the numbers of leads or as in prospects or people. And that's something that gets delivered to sales, which is kind of a one silo hands it to another silo versus demand generation, which in my thinking really represents revenue opportunity pipeline. And it's measured not in numbers of 
prospects, but in potential revenue for the business. And it's not necessarily thought of as something that marketing hands over to sales, which to me, lead gen just screams that. Is that a fair statement or do you agree or disagree? I would agree. But again, I think everyone uses different words in terms of like how they perceive it and how they do in their do it in their business. And it, to me, like the simplest way to say this is like lead gen to me is like, if we have a lead, that is just a contact information, right? That's name, mm-hmm. title, company, address, maybe phone number if we're lucky. Is it the right email address or phone number? Maybe if we're lucky, you know, that to me, that is, that is lead gen versus mm-hmm. if, you know, we have, we don't call them really like, we don't use lead versus MQL and SQL and SQO and all these different abbreviations. We, we've moved away from doing that at Hunter. It's the benefit of coming in, you know, at the almost the very beginning. We're setting this foundation of like, okay, lead is just like contact information in our database. We don't really use those terms. When we talk about what we're doing, we talk about opportunities. And for us, like inbound demo requests, are the mm-hmm. thing that we truly measure we're starting to create demand like our message is resonating people are finding us they're coming to us with intent so you mm-hmm. you touched on this it's we would describe it as like they have intent to evaluate our solution they understand what we do mm-hmm. they have a project that we might be a fit for and though we know that those inbound demo requests convert to opportunity at a very high percentage so that's kind of the north star metric that we try and evaluate our success on. And as far as demand capture goes, the channel that comes to mind clearly is Google ads, paid search. Are there other channels or methods to capture demand that can be anywhere near as cost-effective as paid search? I mean, I think things like organic social, if you're Mm -hmm. posting an organic post and people are in market to evaluate a solution like yours, that can be demand capture. I think anything yeah. anything at all in terms of, you know, you could do an, an advert on your podcast, Paris. And if I'm listening to your podcast and I want to evaluate a solution that is connected to that advertisement, mm-hmm. that could be demand capture. I think it's a very wide scope in terms of how you're capturing demand. But I would always encourage companies to kind of move away from thinking about like, oh, we're just going to hire a big SDR team to capture demand. I think that's a really challenging way of doing it. And I think it mm-hmm. loses sight of this kind of art and science of marketing that a lot of us are really passionate yeah. about. When you mention organic social I immediately think of LinkedIn because LinkedIn still gives pretty generous organic reach to the community and fingers crossed that's going to continue for a little while. I've also noticed your LinkedIn profile, your posts do extremely well relative to your followers, extremely well in engagement in terms of number of reactions and comments. Can you drop some secrets here as to how how you do that? How do you get such great engagement? I presume that you're not advertising these posts and that this is mostly organic or all organic. Am I right? Yes, everything is organic. I think it's a really hard question for me to answer just because I'm in the process of figuring it out myself. I think Mm -hmm. at the beginning of this year, I had probably a thousand followers on LinkedIn, if even, and it was mostly people Mm -hmm. that I had met through my career so far. And now I'm in a point where I have 4,000 followers, you know, 4x, always thinking about the demand gen element of like, you know, the measurement of results. But I think I set out at the beginning of the year to really put myself out there in a raw and authentic way, talking about, you know, 
either mistakes I've made, lessons I've learned. I was recruiting. I had three people that I was trying to recruit for my team at the beginning of the year. And luckily I've hired them and they're fantastic. But I think as a marketer and as a team leader, you want to be, you know, showing that you can walk the walk and talk the talk. So I think being raw and authentic and marketing is it's such a public role where your failures mm -hmm. are very public failures. You know, we chatted before we went live about, you know, a big LinkedIn live fail that I had before. It was just a failure to launch and people were trying to get into the live event and they couldn't. And you have people internally slacking you to ask what's gone wrong and you're texting mm -hmm. with your boss. And it's very traumatic to go through those experiences. I know you've experienced it too, Paris. But the reality yeah. is most most people have experienced that. So I think that was one element of it. And then I think the other element is people are fascinated by how you do marketing at your business. What's working? If you have a conversation with another marketer, they're going to ask you, what's the one thing that's working for you? And I think mm -hmm. that the truth is there is no one thing. It's very much a portfolio of investments that you're making. And I think we are so eager to drive results and impact quickly that we often make the wrong investments or we invest in things, but we don't leave the investment there and, and nurture it long enough for it to actually pay off. So I, I'm fascinated by marketing and how startups in particular do marketing and why some you know CMOs are successful and others aren't and some businesses grow and others mm. kind of stagnate. So really, it's been about talking about those topics. I and mean, most of my posts are based on like real life conversations with people. So that's, you know, when people reach out to me and they ask you, do you have 30 minutes to talk about XYZ? I'm usually like, mm. yes, yes, I do. So I keep everyone anonymous, of course, but it really inspires this kind of fire in my belly in terms of like the topics that I'll be passionate enough to write about and make mm. sense of hopefully. And, and some of those really resonate, other ones don't. But I think wow. the goal is like, keep putting yourself out there and, and see what resonates and then double down on that, do more of those types yeah. of posts or those topics. I've noticed recently, and I, I could be totally off here, but from the people that I follow, a lot of stuff that keeps bubbling up to the top of my newsfeed in LinkedIn tends to be longer posts. I'm seeing more and more of this, almost like a short blog post, which maybe at one point a few years back would be living in a blog, in the company blog. And now the entire thing is, is in a single LinkedIn post and it's accompanied by usually a nice graphic also. To me, that I, I'm starting to see some correlation. I think also being slightly controversial or a little bit going against the grain helps. And here I, I want to reference maybe one of your most successful in terms of engagement posts from about five months ago, where you lead off with the term, with the sentence, hiring a marketing team to do lead generation is a huge mistake. And as we're looking at this, more than 1,500 reactions and 112 comments. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you meant by that? I don't want to read out the whole post, but I do think certainly got my intention with that first sentence. What do you mean by that? I mean, that one really took off. I could tell you it's an interesting story. So the first year I worked at Hunters, you know, pandemic times, nobody was getting together in person. And the majority of our go-to-market team is in the US. I'm based in London. We also have teammates in Tel Aviv who are fantastic. So we all got together in Miami. So really cool trip. I had the privilege of speaking to our entire go-to-market team, um, you know, which any marketers listening, I encourage you to do this. As you know, some people will tell me it's so scary and intimidating to speak in front of the sales team and the sales engineering team and the business leaders. But the mm -hmm. more you do it, the more comfortable you'll feel. And it's really important that you're developing your voice and you're letting them know what your vision is and your strategy. So I did that in partnership with my chief marketing officer. And we had worked together in our 
previous company where we were doing lead gen. And then we were also pretty much a marketing team doing outbound sales. We had a SDR team that we were responsible for. Outbound wasn't going very well. So we were kind of told by our chief revenue officer that our job is to keep the SDR team busy and productive and to give them leads and that the leads should be converting. And mm. it was extremely painful process where the sales team were either taking meetings that the SDRs had booked on the back of, you know, LinkedIn lead gen form campaigns that we were running. We had this like mm-hmm. ebook guide that performed really well because people wanted to read it. But the reality was they just, they weren't ready. Mm-hmm. They were being called by an SDR. And if the SDR was talented, they could get them on the hook for a meeting with the sales rep. But this person would show up to the meeting with the sales rep and, and say things like, yeah, sounds cool. Like, you know, AI, ML sounds cool. We don't have a use case. We don't really have any intent to buy. But we were kind of creating those as opportunities, right? This The salesperson was like, yeah, you know, right person from the right company doesn't have any intent to buy, but I'm going to create it as an opportunity. So my SDR gets paid and my mm-hmm. CRO thinks that we're, you know, kind of doing our jobs here. But the painful thing was we were reporting on all of these opportunities that we were creating, but they just were not converting to revenue. And it's the most soul destroying thing that a marketing team can do is to create all of these opportunities through lead gen and have none of them close. Mm -hmm. None none of it became revenue. So that was the essence of this LinkedIn post. And a lot of it circles back to how the CEO feels about marketing and Mm -hmm. whether they value marketing or not. And we'll hear a lot of things like, you know, if a recruiter reaches out to you saying, you know, this company, they're doing so well. And they're looking now for a marketing leader because marketing is the missing piece of the puzzle. To me, that's a huge red flag, you know, and I'm Mm -hmm. wearing a red t-shirt today to like really emphasize this point. But to me, what that means, marketing is the missing piece of the puzzle. It means we don't really understand marketing, but our revenue was kind of slowed and we've kind of exhausted all of our other options. So now Mm -hmm. we feel like it's time to bring in a marketing leader and we expect them to kind of transform the business and accelerate growth. Mm -hmm. But we're probably not going to give them the budget that they need. We're probably not going to give them the headcount that they need. But we're going to expect a lot from them and we're going to expect it immediately. And if you're expected to drive results immediately, you're not going to be able to actually do demand generation within your business. You're going to be forced to do lead gen. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. statistics show across every business that lead gen, leads generated by a marketing team, convert at like 1-2%, right? So that Mm -hmm. means like 98% of the leads you're bringing in will never convert to revenue. Yeah. It's almost like doing demand capture at that point, but grossly misjudging the size of the of the addressable market that is in market or with high intent to buy and just trying to jam. So I guess in that sense, it's a CEO who has a mindset of, well, now, yes, we have exhausted all other opportunities and now sales needs more leads. We have a team of X number of salespeople that are going hungry and we need more leads and we need marketing to start generating leads. I've seen this in organizations too. And sometimes they succeed despite all of this. They have a good business anyway. But as you said, that is demoralizing and soul soul destroying for marketers to see that so much of their efforts, 98, 99% of their efforts and and the spend that that they're managing is, is essentially being wasted. And I think the short-term pressure is always there for startups, in particular startups that are funded, because investors typically a VC at an early stage. I think Hunters is a, what stage of investment are they in? Uh, um, we're Series C currently. Yeah. 
I don't want to speak to all investors or to all startups. I've seen in a lot of cases that an investor will come in with about a two-year horizon to try to get to the next round, really, and to get their return. And that's not enough time. Two years is not enough time to really build a brand for a startup. So they say, we're going to go all in on, on the demand capture stuff, and we're going to assume that it's bigger than it really is. And then we're going to go really, really hard at just CAC is the only metric that matters, customer acquisition cost. And I think that's dangerous because it can be successful, but then that tap runs dry. And if you've done that aggressively for a year and have not spent anywhere else in the funnel or have invested in the brand, then you realize that we simply can't keep growing this way. And we should have been allocating a healthy part of the budget towards building the brand all along. But I, I hear what you're saying there. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P, dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. You were recently speaking on stage at Inbound, the big HubSpot marketing event, and that was just last week, wasn't it? Yes. It was on in, a Friday. Yeah. Uh-huh. Tell me about the event. How did it go? How was your session, first of all? So I had this fear because I was speaking on Friday morning at 10 a.m. that, you know, people would be like hungover or too tired or kind of almost on their way out from the conference since it's, mm-hmm. you know, that's day three of a conference. It's kind of rare for people to hang around that long. But pleasantly surprised, like the room was full. There were 250 or so people there. And you'll always have, you know, you start to speak and some people get up and walk out and you feel oh dear, that's yeah. maybe not a good sign. But my very good friend, Alex, and she's a coworker of mine as well. She runs revenue operations at Hunters. She was with me in the front row and she was saying, you know what, it's a good sign that those people got up quickly and left because it's kind of like disqualifying in a sales process where like if people, mm-hmm. you know, they're not, they're not interested in the topic, they should go, you know, it's not for everyone. But, you know, retain majority of the audience across uh, or over 90 minutes. So it was a 90 minute long session, which I had no idea wow. I was signing up for that long of a session. But I was able to make it really interactive where people were kind of on this journey with me of like, imagine you are a, a, you know, a director of marketing at a new startup, you know, I've hired you, I am the CEO, I've hired you, let's now kind of build the framework for marketing, um, using Mm -hmm. six steps that I have used at Hunters, my team has used and the funny thing is, it's easy now to to pretend that yes, you know, I entered the business and I said this is the six step framework and we followed it and the you know we've scaled marketing. But really, we were just trying to figure things out. And in hindsight, it now is packaged into six steps. But at the time, we had no real sense of what we were doing. Um, and because of that, I think, you know, some people in the audience told me they were within their first 30 days of a new role. And it was really helpful to understand the practical steps of like the things that we've done. And it's very different based off of any other startup role I've had. We've done things differently at Hunters. And it's really started with learning about the customer first and building the marketing plan last versus we tend to do things in reverse. Um, yeah. So it was. I think it was an interesting take for the audience and something they probably haven't heard before. Yeah. I, I just caught your summary post about that. It was from yesterday, I believe. And again, I see the theme of CEOs. Your advice is only work for CEOs that value marketing. And that's what we've just been discussing. Not a CEO who would say marketing is the missing piece, but rather 
someone who's uh, understanding the role of marketing to generate long-term demand. And another theme that I'm seeing from your summary post is this very difficult system of balancing short-term wins with the long-term focus. Because often there are short-term wins. If you come in as a new marketing leader, inevitably you will see opportunities for quick wins. But at the same time, your job, you hope to be there for years and you hope to establish more permanent success and demand generation. How do you particularly, Sarah, from a budget perspective, if you are in charge of a budget, let's say a VP or a CMO, and you have to both grab these quick wins because you're new in the job and also establish that business for long-term success. How would you advise a new CMO to go about budget planning to achieve both of those objectives and to, to balance those two things? It's a great question. I like the challenge of not having a lot of budget. I think it really forces you to scrutinize the investment. And I think the quick wins that I shared throughout the presentation were wins that didn't cost us any real money. You know, it was like, I always start with your kind of high value conversion for the business, like whether it's inbound demo request, whether it's free trial, or it could be something else. That's where I start in terms of like, there's always room to improve when it comes to that conversion. What does the experience look like from the, you know, the prospect perspective? Like, is it easy to convert on that form? Is it hard to convert on that form? Do they have the information they need? What is the follow-up process like from the sales team? Do we internally have visibility into what's going on? So that's essentially what I was able to do at Hunters as my quick win was optimize our inbound demo request form and landing page and then create a Slack channel with notifications that showed, you know, these are all the inbound demo requests we're getting. We as marketers can kind of be afraid to like open that up and let everyone within the business see because if those inbound demo requests aren't coming in or forgetting them and they're the wrong people, it can feel very personal that we're potentially doing something wrong. But I see it as more of a collaborative effort where it's all of our jobs to make sure that we're getting inbound demo requests. And if the requests are the right people, and we can also, I added a form field, which is how did you hear about hunters? So we also have the anecdotal feedback of, you know, how are people hearing about us? Like what's actually working? And then when we see, you know, right person from the right company, and they've come from a specific program that we've run or a channel that we're investing in, like LinkedIn, mm -hmm. it's a huge win for the business. And everyone feels good. You know, we're all invested in this business. We're all trying to grow this business. And if it's working in one region, it's likely that it's going to work in other regions too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Well, and at Hunters, I guess you with a small budget that always presents just healthy restraints, I think. And then that forces you also to think about how to, how to do things organically and build community. Just to switch gears now, Sarah, you contributed to an article that was published, I think it was in July, late July, entitled Three Steps to Illuminating Dark Social. And you also had a blog post or a LinkedIn, a LinkedIn post, which started out with another great opening line. Dark social is a breath of fresh air for B2B. Now that's such a contrarian statement. I love it. But can you help us, first of all, understand what is dark social and why could this be good for B2B marketers? Yeah. Absolutely. I think dark social to me is freeing because it frees us from this sense that everything in marketing should be tracked as if it's, you know, this science that every action should have a reaction, every mm -hmm. dollar spent should have, you know, a dollar of revenue assigned to it. Like it's just not the reality. And I think we over invested in tracking and attribution with products 
like the CRM tools we mentioned earlier in the conversation and also attribution tools like Visible, where they're trying to assign a value to like every little thing that the marketing team is doing. And there, I think there are some revenue leaders like CEOs and CROs that get a sense of satisfaction from, you know, keeping marketing accountable to every activity they do and every dollar they spend. But I think we lose sight that the fact that marketing is an art as like even more so than it's a science in my opinion. And the reason why we really like marketing is because of the sense of like the feelings associated with a brand and experience around a brand and, you know, why we wear the clothes that we wear and by the tech that, you know, why you buy an iPhone versus an Android, you know, all of those things relate to like the psychology of branding and marketing and feelings and all of those things. I think that's one part of it where you can't really put that down to like a science and attribute, you know, the the value of like a, a TV advertisement as much as we think we should be. And I think the other thing is because of B2B adds another layer of complexity where, you know, it, you can't just try on a pair of shoes, you know, in B2B. You can't just like try on, you know, you can't try on a sock platform, which is like what we do at Hunters. You have to trust that you're going to get this kind of solution that's going to work for your business. And every vendor is trying to tell you, yeah, we're the best. We do X, Y, and Z. You should work with us versus people trust their peers much more so than they trust vendors. So that's a mm-hmm. fact. You and I trust one another more than we trust vendors that are trying to sell to us every single day. So mm-hmm. These conversations are happening within communities that vendors often don't have access to. And this is what we're referring to as dark social. There are different ways where you can leverage dark social. One way is a lot of these communities, they will allow vendors to like sponsor dinners or sponsor different webinars, activities. So they're able to kind of pay to play sometimes. The other way I see vendors leveraging dark social communities is working with, you know, evangelists or influencers in the space to try and help insert your brand into the conversation when it's completely relevant right? Not being salesy. If you're salesy about it, you're going to lose your credibility. You're going to lose your friends. You're going to get kicked out of the community. You know, it's not okay. Is it like very low tolerance for that? But I think there's a time and a place when it's very appropriate. And Mm -hmm. at Inbound last week, Nick Bennett and Chris Walker, they're two like very credible and well-known figures in the marketing space. They had a podcast episode yesterday on the state of demand gen that talked about this and how the role of the evangelist is something we're going to see more and more as we progress because honestly people are kind of tired of talking to salespeople or having salespeople reach out to them you want to talk mm-hmm. to people that you know you know you might know them personally or you might just know of them from the community that they've built on you know a social platform so i think more and more we're going to see the role of a salesperson maybe not be as prominent within businesses and we'll see the rise of the evangelist or like the customer advocate and I'm really excited for that I think it's going to be a much better experience for the buyer does that include influencer marketing this world of of dark social yeah I think like evangelist and influencer I think they're kind of interchangeable in a sense and maybe Mm -hmm. you think of like an evangelist as maybe somebody who you would hire to work long term within your company versus an influencer maybe is somebody who has influence over your community and you work with them Mm -hmm. but maybe not directly that could be only just my own understanding but I think these are terms that we're going to hear more and more frequently yeah I'm still waiting for influencer marketing for B2B to become a thing. I don't think it really has yet. 
you I don't think, think so? Influencer marketing is, I think it's associated with B2C, but for B2B, I don't know. Do you, how do you feel about it? I see a lot of it, let's say in the cybersecurity space, buyers have, again, such a low tolerance for vendors selling to them because there are so many cybersecurity vendors. And then Mm -hmm. there's a pretty small, intimate group of like chief information security officers or people who work within those security teams. So I think it happens. I think there's a strong influencer community within security. I see it as well with like developers. Developers hate traditional marketing. They don't want to be marketed to. So I think one of the only effective ways to get through to developers is to build relationships with people who have influence within those communities. Yeah. Do you think it's it's ever conceivable that someday I could hire a rock star chief security officer to tweet about my cybersecurity company? Or um, can that be feasible or is that going too far? I think it's already happening. Is that I happening think it already? just happens in a very, I think if you're aware, it's a red flag. They're doing it wrong, right? Because oh, okay. you're thinking, oh, that person's hired by that vendor to promote that solution, mm-hmm. right? That's influencer marketing done wrong versus influencer cool. marketing done mm-hmm. right is somebody who's present in the community. They're associated with your brand in terms of like you're working with them. They could be an advisor. They could be on your board of advisors, but they're not there promoting your brand or like wearing your t-shirt they're Mm. sitting there and they have their ears open their eyes open they want to know the pain points that these people are facing and given the right place the right time the right moment they might say hey have you considered this solution and that's how it works i think it's very hands-off it's very relaxed it's very relationship-based it's not you know salesy and obvious and i think maybe that's why you haven't seen as much of it because it's quite Mm. social when done right Great. I'm going to start trying to pay more attention and see if I can cue in a little bit more to that stuff. So Sarah, are you ready for a little bit of rapid fire questions to wrap us up? I have a few. Hopefully they'll be fun. I want you to think of three channels that you're currently using in Hunter's overall marketing strategy. I want you to pick three to kiss, marry, and kill. Super just top of mind. I think I would kiss uh, podcasts and like podcast advertising. I think that is an area which has only really begun. I would marry LinkedIn because I have no idea what any of us would do without it in the B2B space. It's very much, you know, core to everything we're doing. I would probably kill big trade shows. Good one. All right. Yeah. Uh, who do you have weekly one-on-one meetings with and what do you talk about in those meetings? I have weekly one-on-ones with my CMO and also the person who leads content communication, customer marketing, branding. This is all mm-hmm. one person, would you believe, at Hunters. We definitely chat about how you're doing as people first. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. We're very invested in each other's kind of personal well-being and make sure the person is thriving. And then we get down to business and talk about challenges, how we're going to solve them. And we spend a lot of time focusing on the things that we think have a lot of potential and that excite us. And I, I always come away from those calls feeling more energized. Great. Okay. Do you click on Google ads or do you skip them? I never click because I feel like I'm just spending another marketing person's budget. So I never, mm-hmm. ever click on Google ads. I'll always try and find the organic. All right. Do you think that outbound marketing is in decline? Yes. 
I think outbound marketing is in decline because like two things. I think one, it's an art and science. You know, it needs to be done very, very well. And I think people can do it very effectively if they're very skilled. They know exactly what they're talking about, who they're talking to, how to convert people. There are really talented salespeople out there that do a fantastic job. But I think the reality is most of the salespeople out there either don't have the skill or they haven't been trained the right way or they're given the wrong kind of incentive in terms of like how they're supposed to do their job. I also think that most people don't enjoy being outbound prospected. Yeah. Okay. If you could have one app on your phone for work, just one app, what would that app be? I mean, Slack is probably the obvious one, right? I think okay. I think Slack and, and not email. I, I'm so buried in email. Uh, I also love the LinkedIn app. Yeah. I love the LinkedIn app. I think it's it's been getting better and better. All right. Pick one of these two, SEO or PPC? I think PPC for the quick wins. I think yeah. SEO for the for the long run. Right. Sarah, what is the best thing that has happened to you so far today? Um, one of my best friends shared news that she's expecting a baby. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I think that. <laughs> that's got to be yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. That, that doesn't just happen as I was day. walking here to speak with you, Paris. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Most amazing yeah. news. Yeah. So happy for her. Okay. What is that is, an unusual answer that you get for that oh, question? Oh, yeah. Well, I've never gotten that answer. That's, that's great. <laughs> that's really delightful, too. I, I can't imagine anything topping that as far as the best news of the day. Yeah. Okay. Last question is, what is one big goal that you're setting for yourself this year? I think like, I think my goals have changed like throughout the year. I think the goals I had at the beginning of the year, like my number one goal was like, I want to speak at inbound and I want to speak confidently where I don't have this kind of pit in my stomach of I'm so afraid to speak in front of a group. I think that's been something that I overcame and that I'm really happy about. I think my next very clear vision for the next few months is like to help the team that I'm currently managing like really work on their skill set and figure out where they're strong like I have my own sense of where they're strong but I also want them to be invested in like current state of things this is how I, I see myself and this is where I want to get to and how can we help close that gap because I've really learned how to do it for myself like I love podcasts I'm obsessed with like listening to like every success story out there of like how a startup has grown and one of my best friends at work she recommended um the book by Frank Slootman he's the CEO of Snowflake and Snowflake's a big partner for us at Hunters that's really helped us grow our business so reading that book you know I've learned so much from that and I think I'm good at self-educating but I want to make sure that I'm not just focused on my own education and my own career that I'm like helping the team that I work with level up their skill set and achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve. So I think that'll be my focus for the next few months. Great. Well, Sarah, this has been fantastic. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wished I would have asked or you think that our audience should know? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot, but Paris, I really want to go back and listen to your other episodes because I think you do a really good job of interviewing. So I want to listen to the rest Thank of you. your episodes uh, of like the other guests that you've had on. Oh, gosh. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, there's like over 100, right? <laughs> I, we're not at 100 yet, uh, but thank you very much for that. Um, this has really been a joy to speak with you, Sarah. And I wish you all the best at Hunters. I think they're in good hands with you at the helm and really look forward to staying in touch. Thank you, Paris. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Another great episode in the books. 
Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.